Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. This is the best of the Doug Gottlieb Show on Fox Sports Radio. Boom! What up, America? Doug Gottlieb Show, Fox Sports Radio. One day away from getting you ready for your weekend. Two days away from another NBA game. Three days away. Oh, no, two days away from the Preakness, right? It's Preakness this weekend? I think so. Think so. I, I listen, I I'm I gotta talk horse racing because what, what do you want me to talk about? Justin Verlander was nasty last night. Woo! Woo! Was filthy take a shower. But no one's talking about Justin Verlander. No one's talking about the Dodgers who look like they're actually gonna win a game in uh in Miami. Sorry, Ramos. John Ramos is back. Ramos is back. NBA is not NBA two days out. We got to catch our breath. Last night, a whooping at the hands of the Houston Rockets laid onto the tushies or took us of the Golden State Warriors. 127 105. 
And it was mildly competitive in the fourth quarter. Call here, call there, miss shot, turnover, whatever. It felt like there was still one last run in the Golden State Warriors, and it just didn't happen. Here's Steve Kerr after the game. I just think this game was a matter of um, the Rockets bringing the, the force that's necessary to win a game, and, um, and we, we didn't. But, you know, give them the credit. They came out and played uh, a great game, and, you know, we got what we deserved. They, they kicked our butts, no other way to say it. It often comes down to which one has the, uh, the edge in terms of the, um, the aggression and the desperation. They were desperate tonight, and they played like it, and we didn't. And uh, the results showed. Uh, James Harden uh, had this to say, we're, we're focused on what we're supposed to do. We don't really worry about who we're playing against. Like if we come out and be some dogs and do what we did tonight, it doesn't matter. But if we don't, then we see the results in game one. It's not about a chess match or what they're doing. It's about us. Sure. That's like Mike D'Antoni. Be like, hey, we played ISO ball. We're going to play ISO ball again. Like, no, you didn't. You passed the ball and you shared the ball, and Trevor Reza and P.J. Tucker end up scoring the ball, which took some of the load off of James Harden, who didn't actually shoot the ball all that well. Like, I actually listen to Steve Kerr, and how he depicts a game is exactly how I see it play out. I listen to the Rockets, like, that's not at all how it happened. (laughs) They completely changed what they're doing. And, oh, yeah, by the way, defensively, Defensively, they did to Golden State what Golden State did to them in game one, which is Kevin Durant wants to go for 37 points, fine, but he's not going to create shots for anybody else. Stayed home, if you will. It was like the two teams changed jerseys at the end of game one and came out in game two. Okay, this game, we're going to play the selfish role and you're going to go pass the ball around. Okay, okay, wait, wait, I'm the selfish or you're the unselfish. I'm so confused. That's the weird thing about the NBA playoffs. This is more in line with the NBA playoffs of the past. It really is. In that uh, NBA playoffs of the past, you'd have this. You'd have one game and you think you knew. Then you'd have another game like, well, I, I've, we have that in the NFL, don't we, sometimes? Where you see a game, you're like, oh, there is no way this team ever wins a game. Then you see the next game, you're like, wait a second. what? I, I don't know anything about sports. That's what Rockets Warriors look like. Look, it helps when you get away with what could have been a foul in the first possession. Kevin Durant turns it over. It helps when P.J. Tucker, who hadn't been making shots, makes shots. It helps when Steph Curry appears to be either worn down or unable to get a step and to create space in a defense. I still think this is the Warriors series in six, and the logic behind six is pretty simple. They win the two at home, they lose in Houston, they win game six at home. And if anything in Houston, I'm more concerned today because Chris Paul doesn't appear to be sound, right? Got that bad wheel. And and you won in spite of that, but that doesn't, over the, over a seven-game series, you're going to need Chris Paul to bail you out and win a game here or there. And without Chris Paul or without a sound Chris Paul, yee. 
So it did feel like Houston was the desperate team. It did feel like Houston was the aggressor. It did feel like Houston made an adjustment and decided to pass the ball, and they played better defense in allowing Kevin Durant to show his greatness, but not allowing Kevin Durant to create shots for others. Now, some of the lack of assists for Kevin Durant is because other guys weren't making shots. Well, I have found, and this is through trial and error, this is through a lifetime of uh, learning, playing, and now covering basketball through 900 and I think it's 30 some odd assists, 37 assists in college, that it is completely and totally impossible, impossible for you to get an assist if your teammate doesn't make a shot. I found that. That's, that's, I know, I know. Write that one down. Gottlieb said this today on radio. It was really good. You, you ready for it? It's impossible, impossible to get an assist if your teammate doesn't make a shot. I don't think I'll show, I'll show myself out. Is that enough? Yesterday I gave you the gem of, which is a real gem, which is pick and roll basketball used to be about getting a big guy guarded by a little guy in the low post or on the boards. And now it's the about getting a big guy to guard a little guy out in the perimeter. Today I'll give you the, you can't get an assist unless your teammate makes a shot. Here's Chris Paul after the game. Surprisingly, we didn't change anything. You know, we guarded the same way. I mean, obviously, we, we, we played harder, but scheme-wise, we didn't change anything. We just did everything a little harder. We just played a little harder. Yeah, you were much more aggressive. Yeah, you didn't help off shooters, and you played kind of a two-man zone, forcing Draymond to shoot, which he doesn't want to shoot. Yeah, you let Kevin Durant kind of go one-on-one, pressed up on him, made him take more mid-range shots. Yeah, you did all these things, but it's the exact. Yes, you moved the basketball and you didn't dribble it to death. Other than that, exact same thing. So, impressed by Houston, we do have at least somewhat of a series. Some of the old issues of the Golden State Warriors came to bear. You know, where Iguodala not a scorer, Draymond not a scorer. And their bench is not nearly what their bench had been in the past. You can go at Steph Curry defensively and it wears him down and he's not a great defender. And they do, they can get selfish. They can turn the basketball over a ton. I mean, think about this. Steph Curry in this series is playing as the primary defender 21 and a half times over two games. In the regular season, it was 11.2. This is what the Cavs did to the Warriors two seasons ago. They did it over seven games. They were physical with him when he had the ball. And then when he didn't have the ball defensively, they made him guard the ball, which takes away from his offensive prowess. It just does. Two of the hardest things to do in basketball, guard the ball and have the ball and try and score. And that's why LeBron couldn't stop the Warriors last year. He tried, to, he tried to guard Durant and be the best offensive player, and he had nothing in the tank in the fourth quarter. That's why James Harden, who's already a pathetic defender, was even more pathetic in game one because they made him dribble, 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 triangle, one-on-one, 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 and he had nothing in the tank uh, for the defensive end at all. So Chris Paul can sit there and tell us we didn't do anything different. Like, that's funny because it looked, it looked totally different. James Harden can say, we just do what we do. Mike D'Antoni can say, this is who we are. But you were different in game one to 
of Game 2, not just playing harder. Be sure to catch live editions of the Doug Gottlieb Show weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. Ryan Hollins joins us. Went to John Muir High School, Pasadena. Same high school that produced uh, Stacey Ogman, Jock Vaughn, and of course Ryan Hollins. Went to UCLA, played in the pros 10 years, now covering the NBA for ESPN. Let's start with what happened most recently, Ryan. What's your reaction to Houston dominating the Warriors last night? Well, they just say face. <laughs> you know, everybody talk about sweep, getting the brooms out, the series is over. I, I, I don't think they have a chance, but I, I just didn't want to see them go out like that, man. The second round of the NBA playoffs was embarrassing. We saw three five ones and one sweep, man. I, I just want to see a good series. Let's watch some basketball. I, I tend to agree with you. Um, Steph seems to have struggled in games one and two. I think some of it is they're going at him on as many possessions as possible, trying to find the find who Steph's guarding. And go, that, that wears on anybody. Some think he's not healthy. He says he's healthy. What's your assessment of Steph Curry's offensive struggles? Well, one thing against game planning for Steph, it, he always amazed me for the best shooter we've ever seen ever in the game of the NBA. He finds a way to get open, and that's because he runs. He never stops moving. He's always getting screened for. He's got the ball in his hand. And he's hindered most by his movement, by his running. And obviously, sometimes the greatest defense is your offense. And every time they see him on the floor, they've got it. They've got the green light. And, Doug, you know this from playing ball. They're not forcing it at Steph. They're moving the ball. They're letting it come organically. And then it's full-out attack mode. And that's really hard for him to guard. Do you think he's healthy? No, he's not healthy. I mean, he's healthy enough to play, but he's not He's not feeling it. He doesn't have any pop in his step. You know, when you come back from injury, uh, you, you don't feel your pop yet. You're just kind of out there, and that's what you're seeing from Steph. But he's going to feel a whole lot better coming home to Oracle, man. You know that. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I don't doubt that at all. I mean, like, look, P.J. Tucker hadn't hit shots like that most of the playoffs. He hit shots. We know Golden State turns it over a ton. They turned it over a bunch early, which allowed – Houston to kind of to, to get a lead. Um, the, one of the interesting parts is that Kevin Durant continues to dominate, and yet uh, it doesn't. You know, he dominates in game one, dominates in game two, and yet the results are different. What's your assessment of Kevin Durant in terms of how he's actually playing? So let's break this down. Let's break this down, Doug. The team switched roles in game one. You saw Harden taking a bulk of the shots. Everybody else standing. Yep, and. Houston took a page out of their game plan and said, well, okay, Kevin Durant's unstoppable. We're going to stay home. We'll play him straight up, and we're going to force him to drive. We're going to force him to finish on double moves, and when he catches the ball, we'll call these Durant moves, Doug, because he's seven feet, and he shoots the ball at the top of his peak, and he's pretty much unguardable. So they're, they're crowding him. You saw them literally putting their hands on him and saying, go get a dunk, go drive to, to the basket, and we'll chase you from behind. Well, we're going to take your twos versus threes. And in game one, he was very efficient. He catched turn and shoot. Game two, he had to put the ball on the floor. And a lot of those other guys on Golden State didn't touch the ball. And that's not Golden State offense. Yeah, no, it's, I saw I saw the exact same thing. It's it's and look, we saw some of that even in the in the Celtics series. In that, you know, they were staying home a lot more, kind of in game two when LeBron was going nuts. 
And, uh, and, and, you know, at, at some point you also, you get exhausted from going one-on-one. Like I thought game one, James Harden's not a good defender and he, sometimes he doesn't have energy yeah. for it. But then when you're going one-on-one every time down the court, you're going to have no energy to play defense. And then they're nope. attacking with the defensive end. <laughs> Doug, are you agreeing with me? Yeah. Because I've always felt like you were crazy with a couple of your takes, but I, we're seeing eye to eye today, my man. <laughs> which, which, which takes are crazy? You say a couple of crazy things, Doug. You, you, you've thrown them out. You've thrown them out, man. Go, so go. Hey, I'm go. just owning it, my man. Go. Where, where are they? You, go, go. Feel free. You know, feel, feel free. Um, okay, so I, I do get from the sound of your voice, though, that it becomes a different series once we go back to Oakland. Why is that? You're home. Uh, nothing like having your fans behind you. Uh, I know from playing against Golden State in the playoffs, they just run a little bit faster. The shot's going, you know, much better. Before you're turning your head, those dudes are racing down the floor. And just the pace of the game. You know this. Watch the pace. Watch the movement. It's the difference between you playing on your heels and you attacking down the floor. You know, even if you score on those guys, they're checking the ball to half court and getting layups. And they've got guys that run and spread you thin on the defensive end. And at home, there's just, a, there's just a different energy, man. All the way back to, you know, Donnie Nelson and Baron Davis and those guys get up and down the floor. It's just something in that arena, man, that I can't explain. And, and I'd, I'd say also the officiating changed a little bit. You know, they, they did a good job of bumping Steph. Uh, and, and, you know, when he was trying to finish, they didn't make any of his finishes um, easy. Whereas when, you, when you're in Oakland, some of those – fouls some of those get called foul as opposed to letting them play like they did last night is that fair oh absolutely you know it's so like the irony like i know there's a coach at home driving his hair out going you're letting them drive to the basket you know and since we were young it was always contest the jump shot but both of these teams shoot at such a high clip that you're almost forcing the drive you're saying hard no step packs you're saying curry you know no no step back no crossover through the legs threes, and you're saying drive to the hole because your two is a worse shot than your contested three. This is a new generation of basketball. Isn't that amazing? Like, you're not old enough. I I think you came in at the tail end of the disappearing mid-range game. They used to always... My era was like, man, yes. you got to develop your no, mid-range no, game, <laughs> mid-range game, mid-range game, right? Yes. <laughs> and then, and so now, now it's like, dude, don't we don't want really like you can take a mid-range jump shot, but you better make it. Uh, uh, as, for real. as as opposed to get to get to the rim or kick out for a three, and then the other part is, and I pointed this out on the radio show going back to yesterday. The, I think the biggest change in the NBA is you go back for the last sixty years. A pick and mm-hmm. roll, the idea of a ball screen or a pick and roll was to get a little on a big in the low post and throw the ball into a big, right? And yeah, then and then yeah. pl- and then you had to double team or that guy's going to go score. Now it's the opposite. Now you want the same ball screen, but it's because you want the big on the little out on the floor so that you have that yeah. mismatch and then you can get in the lane and create havoc. And, and Doug, I swear you're reading my notes because I also remember that situation that well. I was a big who could always switch one through five. That's why I wore 15. I'm a two-by-heart a little bit. I enjoyed guarding guards or whoever in the perimeter. And I said, why don't we switch more? And the coaches always get on me and say, well, we don't want the guard to have to box out the big man. But now when you pick your poison because these teams shoot at such a high clip, you gain the rebound, you get out and run, and you make multiple efforts. And it's almost like a bad look. Like, like Doug, are we really saying that layups are bad looks in the NBA? <laughs> 
like that's how well these teams score. Yeah, not not layups, post ups, but like like right, like it used to be working your post moves. Work, guy, well, you got to work on your post moves. Now, like, yeah, post ups actually aren't that efficient a shot unless you have a dunk, kick that sucker out. Like it's now, yes. you, now you play like the Warriors play out of the post. Where they're a great split team, right? You hit the guy in the post, yes. and now you go screen for each other. They almost never look to score in the post. No, 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 they don't. And the only one who right now, which seemingly messed them up, is when they got the ball to Durant. Yeah. That's the first time I ever saw Golden State start standing. And then I look on the other end, and Houston is flaring. They're cutting. They're diving. They they got all this action going on, and Harden passing the basketball. We go, what the heck is this? <laughs> What's the matter with the Cavs? You know what? Chemistry. I'm gonna give it chemistry, and I'm gonna give you. I'm gonna give you one big name, Kardashian. <laughs> no, we're not. We're not gonna do that. But seriously, uh, Tristan Thompson is the missing piece, and I know we can talk about all this small ball NBA shooting threes and what they do well and and how it helps. But LeBron James is a transcendent talent. And in today's NBA, he allows you to play Tristan Thompson. And when Tristan Thompson's not on the floor, Cleveland's not that good of a basketball team. Why? He erases your mistakes defensively. He can show out and guard a guard in today's small ball generation of basketball. And when you chuck up a bad shot or you don't have anything going, he can create offensive rebounds. So LeBron James allows Tristan Thompson to play, and he also makes Kevin Love a whole lot more comfortable on the floor. I've played with Kev, and I know Kev doesn't want to be down there blocking shots and, you know, guarding guys on a block. You know, he wants to run in and get some free rebounds, and, he, you know, he wants to worry about scoring, and now he's got to do more than expected, and you see Boston really taking advantage of that. Yeah, I, I would say, though, that as much as Kevin Love doesn't want to play the five, he likes to play the four. Um, the fact is that he, a lot of, against a lot of teams, he has a better mismatch when he's playing the five as to when he's playing the four. To where, you know, he can, I mean, that's one of the reasons that they couldn't play Valanchunas against him in Toronto is because he's playing 25 feet from the basket and Valanchunas wants to guard the rim. I, I, the one thing I think they might want to consider doing is establishing Kevin kind of at the low post, playing through him a little bit more as opposed to you keep playing through LeBron James and kind of like we talked about with Harden in game one and Durant in game two, you, you get exhausted, you get worn out, and you get nothing from them at the defensive end and the team starts to stand. Is is that a way? How do they create more offense? Because it doesn't feel like George Hill can get a step and everybody else is just kind of a shooter that they have that they're putting out there. Do you, do you play through Kevin Love? What, what's the adjustment you make outside of just playing Tristan Thompson? See, see this is where I say that you're crazy because I, I don't think you post up Kevin Love. Kevin is a crafty scorer, and in this series, it's not Valanciunas. It's Al Horford who's actually comfortable, you know, screening out, chasing a guy off the three-point line, guarding different positions. This is a poor matchup for Kevin. But I do agree, you've got to put him in positions to be successful. You can throw Kevin Love at the elbow and let LeBron cut, run some offense through him. I agree, you've got to get some type of playmaking ability out of somebody other than LeBron. And, you know, when Kevin gets the ball on the block, he's one of the greatest passes I've ever played with. You know, I remember diving to the basket and him throwing that thing behind his back, you know, and he'd be for a nice dunk or out in transition. So, you know, maybe take a page out of Golden State's book, like you said earlier, Doug, and, 
you know, run some split action, get some cutting going, you know, just let LeBron rest a little bit. But I don't think Kevin Love on the block as a scorer, as a scorer, really helps you because they're poor matchups. And if you notice, you know, when they switch out, Jalen Brown guard them. You know, Tatum can guard him on the block. Marcus Smart. How, how is so that, how is that possible? Kind of up. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not disagreeing with you. How is that possible? How can Kevin Love be guarded in the low post by Jalen Brown? That seems that 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 doesn't that seem as he gotten has he regressed as a post player because he's worked so much in his perimeter game. Like, dude, Jalen Brown should not be able to guard Kevin Love down low, should he? Well, let's not forget also Kevin's not an incredible athlete, so he's got to beat you with craft. And these guys are are allowed to put their hands on him. You know, they're getting physical with them. You know, what they're doing is they're forcing Kevin Love to his baseline spin, and he's going up with his left hand. And because you're not a, when you're not as strong to your left hand, Doug, you use your physicality. And those guys have had a year to mature in the league, and they're strong enough and athletic enough that they're kind of contesting that left hand jump hook of Kevin, you know, seeing it getting put back in his face. And, you know, the NBA playoffs are about efficiency. And if you're not scoring at a high clip, you're not defending, what are you doing on the floor? So he's got to find ways because the jumper is not going to work against those guys, and he's not necessarily jumping through the roof against them. So, you know, maybe he's got to be more patient. Maybe he's got to establish something else, but that's never really been Kevin's bread and butter. But I, I, I hear you. you got to get something going to the basket. I think there's crafty ways of doing it, and I don't think just giving him the ball on the block He's that good to get it done, even against a Brown or a Tatum. But I, I hear you, Doug. How's Boston doing this? I mean, I, listen, I I get that you still have and you have Jalen, but he's still really young. You got Jason Tatum. He's still really young. Like the, the playoffs is supposed to be about veteran dudes, and you don't have Kyrie, you don't have Gordon Hayward, and you're you're up two games to none. How are they doing this? Credit Brad Stevens. This is where I credit him. Because we haven't seen a close game from these teams. And in a close game is where you really see how young they are. In a tight finish, when you got to figure out where the offense is coming from, now you're seeing where's Kyrie Irving? Who's going to manufacture a shot? What they've done, when you watch these games, they're punching those third quarters so hard as if it's an end of the game. And they're giving themselves a 10-plus point buffer. You know, they're coming back because you know they don't want to wait until the end of the game. So amazing strategy from Brad Stevens and guys like Al Horford and Smart, who have been there before, telling the young guys, look, we got to go now. We cannot wait. We're not that good of a team. And LeBron's so far behind, it's kind of like, you know, there's not much he can do in these first two games. Ryan Hollins joining us. All right, so uh, now we go back to Cleveland, the home crowd, the ability to be physical, do we go back 2-2 when we go to Boston, or is Boston able to get the 3-1 lead in your mind? No, I think we get 2-2. They're a different team on the road. They're youth shows. And I tell you one thing, this is a do-or-die type next two games for Cleveland. And the hardest thing that I've ever seen and I've ever been a part of, and I remember veterans like you know Paul Pierce and, and Dirk and Garnett telling me, hey, young solid, this is going to be a different game because their backs are against the wall. And that fight-or-flight type of human instinct kicks in. Either you give up and you lay down like Toronto did, or you fight with all your might. And that's what you're going to see from Cleveland in a sense of a closeout game. So I see them making this thing 2-2. And honestly, Doug, I don't know how you feel about this. I think this will be LeBron's 
greatest feat and greatest challenge ever if he gets by this Boston team. Even though they don't have Hayward and Kyrie Irving, is it because they're down two games to none and because of how they looked in one and two, that's how you feel? I look more at his Cleveland team right now. I look more at that depleted team. I look more at the lack of chemistry. I look at more of what they lost and what they didn't gain, you know, in these trades because they brought in young players. They they didn't they brought in some spring chickens. They didn't bring those Valio vets in who'd be, you know, going and getting it done playoff time. You know, I bet they could have used some D Wade now, at least for one game. <laughs> no, I, I, I it's it I actually it's funny you bring up D Wade because while the trades help them in the regular season, it's clearly hurting them in the postseason. I just don't know if they could have gotten to this point in the postseason if not for having, a you know, considering the path that they were on and the way in which LeBron was feeling and playing. And, like, look, he had the lowest plus-minus in the league for seven weeks there or six weeks there. Uh, obviously, he wasn't. But it's crazy because, well, though those guys weren't helping him then, they probably would have helped him more now. Is that that's That's fair, right? That's what you're getting at? Very, very fair. And, and what message? Let's let's look a little forward because we got to do this as part of the job. What message as a front office? If you're LeBron's team, what does that send to LeBron that does not care about tomorrow, that wants to win for the now, that needs a championship or bust? Because a good regular season and even an MVP doesn't mean much at all to him staying in Cleveland. So I, I, I see a message to LeBron saying we're gearing up with some youth for tomorrow when you go ahead and bounce because we're expecting you to leave. But some of that is LeBron. LeBron's done that, right? I mean, LeBron has created this where he, by, by allowing the possibility of leaving to be the story of the season, all he has to do is come out and say like, I ain't leaving. This is my home. I'm staying here. You guys fix it. None of this would have, none of this would have happened. So I, I'm not disagree. I completely agree with you that Cleveland is positioning themselves of, Hey, we got some youth. Hey, we still got that draft pick. There is a, the sun will still rise in the East and set in the West, even yeah. if he leaves. But a good portion of this is created by, by the ambiguity that LeBron has approached the situation with. No, I agree. And, and Doug, we're going to look back on LeBron's career as this Michael Jordan documentary is coming out. And we're going to appreciate LeBron, the businessman, the behind the scenes. We're going to appreciate what he learned from the decision and the strategic way that he leaves Cleveland this time to where you're almost telling him, oh, LeBron, you got to leave. But guys like me, you dig into the process and say, LeBron, you planted these seeds of leaving a long time ago. You know, but to the common eye, you're going to say, oh, he's got to go. It just makes sense. There's no reason for him to be at Cleveland. Nah, LeBron set this up completely all the way, man. It was it was masterful. This was this was a, this was a masterpiece. This is this was amazing. You're gonna look back on, oh, man. This guy is a businessman. Not only the one of the greatest basketball players of all time, but the greatest businessman that we've seen actually play the game. Does he come to LA? Yeah, man. I've I've said championship or LA, and it, it is safe to say that only option right now is looking like LA is the Lakers. Ryan, dude, you're doing a great job uh, killing it over at ESPN. Really appreciate you coming on with us. Oh, man. Anytime, Doug. I'm a big fan. When I think you're crazy, I'll just I'll just text Ryan and tell him, you know, I want to argue with Doug a little bit, man. So, man, I, I appreciate your work, brother, man. Keep inspiring. All right. Uh, pleasure's mine. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com and within the iHeartRadio app. The thing about... And I and it's not a big deal with Dak, 
but it is a deal with Dak, which is like, you should, all right, dude, a couple of things you should never talk about. Never talk about money because that makes people lose their mind. Like, don't ever say you're underpaid. We all know you're underpaid. I, I don't know how good Dak Prescott is. And this year will be a great test because there will be an extra guy in the box. There will be. But um, I don't, I, I sit here and tell you, I don't know how good, do you know how good Dak Prescott is? Remember when he had a great rookie season, there was, they were still spoon feeding him. Guys were wide open because he had Zeke Elliott. Des Bryant was still more in his prime than he is now. They played a soft schedule. And even then they came up short in the playoffs. And though he brought them back against the Green Bay Packers, you couldn't win one home game. Last year, he failed and struggled to connect with Des Bryant. Bryant's gone. Witten's gone. And like, look, I don't think Witten or Bryant are nearly what they used to be. And Witten, oh, that dude's washed up. But there becomes a lot more pressure on you when you're playing for your next paycheck, when you're trying to prove you belong. I kind of think the last thing you should talk about is, you know, I like to be the best Dallas Cowboys quarterback of all time. How about let's just get back to getting the playoffs? How about let's just get back to being a guy you can count on? How about let's just be the best Dallas Cowboys quarterback in that locker room? Because you go back two years ago, and even when they were propelling towards the playoffs, there were people like yours truly saying, you know, you should probably play Romo because Romo gives you a much better chance to win now. Dak is three or four years from now. This, by the way, is three or four years from now. It is. This is that moment three or four years from now. So I'm I'm interested. I don't love what they've done. It's a different different way of doing it. I, I don't particularly, I sit there and I look at the Dallas Cowboys and I'm like, hmm, you are dependent upon a team to, and look, maybe they're trying to build the opposite. You know, we talked about this several times with several different, much smarter than me, football people, including Sean Payton at the Super Bowl. Most teams, most teams, their base defense is now a nickel. You no longer need the traditional middle linebacker. Run stuffing is not nearly as big a deal as it used to be. That's because it's 70-30 in terms of pass-run league. It's not that Zeke can't catch it out of the backfield, but... You look at the Cowboys, and it feels like they're a team that's going to go like, I know everybody else throws it. We're going to be the one team that mainly runs it. Because otherwise, you're going with Alan Hearns. You're going with uh, Terrence Williams. You're going with ooh, Blake Jarwin or Jeff Swaim as your tight ends. If Blake Jarwin, who I actually know because he went to Oklahoma State, if Blake Jarwin or Jeff Swaim would walk up to you and go, hey, I'm, I'm Jeff Swaim. Anything? And you go, I'm Jeff Swaim, Dallas Cowboys. You go, sure you are. Right? They got Tavon Austin, who no one's found a way to use and use effectively in the return game, in the slot. Like, it'll be fine. But it's the, I like, the Rams have as, as inventive an offensive mind as you will find and they couldn't find a way to use Tavon Austin effectively. 
So it's not that I hate Tavon Austin, by the way, he had 59 carries last year. You can use him. You're going to use him all over the field. But if you think he's going to help you in the past game, he, he caught 13 balls last season. 13. So my guess is that they're going to be a, they got a running back that can run it. They got a wide receiver that can run it. They got a quarterback that can run it. And they got some guys that are okay at catching it. But man, that is not a star studded group at wide receiver. That's going to be dependent upon a quarterback that either has an offense that creates openings or you got to throw them open. He ain't going to do that. So before you get into the, hey man, and I, and I honestly don't think he meant anything by it. But let us talk about, hey, he's got a chance to be the best Dallas Cowboy quarterback of all time. How, how about we win a playoff game first? Just one. Let's, let's, let's do that. Because you're chasing ghosts that aren't yet ghosts, Staubach and Troy Aikman, who have a combined five Super Bowl rings. Let, let's just be viable here. Be sure to catch live editions of the Doug Gottlieb Show weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. Tom Verducci just won an Emmy, didn't he? I, I, I have to, I think I have to introduce him as Emmy Award winning Tom Verducci, don't I? Right? Like, and that's got to be the coolest thing ever to be recognized by your peers in the industry. Tom, Emmy Award winning Tom Verducci joins us in the Doug Gottlieb Show. How are you? Uh, I'm really well after that intro. Thanks for that. I, it's, it's earned. I, like I'm all. All I can do is report. I'm just reporting facts here. Um, what is that? What is that like for you? I mean, like, look, you've done a lot of things uh, to receive that sort of acclaim. What's it been like? That crazy man. This is my third Emmy, and you're talking to a guy who, when I first started out, all I wanted to do was write. So the idea of actually winning a, uh, an Emmy that wasn't even on the radar. That wasn't even a dream. So for this to happen three times now is, is amazing. I had a conversation with a Major League Baseball player uh, last night. And it's funny, Sam Miller, who's a writer for ESPN, wrote that, uh, that Mike Trout might be having the best season in the history of baseball. And anyway, the conversation I was having with Major League Baseball players like, hey, Mike Trout's unbelievable, but Shohei Otani has to be considered the best player of Major League Baseball considering... He's doing, he's, he's playing like all of us played in high school, right? Pitching and hitting and doing both incredibly well. What, what is the sport saying about Otani and how good he actually is at either or both combined? Yeah, I mean, it's just crazy. I mean, typically you have to go to Williamsport to see somebody who can do this, right? Uh, and it's funny you mentioned that because Logan Morrison of the Twins did say that he thinks Otani is the best player on the planet. Because exactly what you said, he can do both pitch and and hit. And listen, it's not like he's just a journeyman guy at both of them. You're talking about a guy on the mound whose fastball, he can throw as hard as Noah Syndergaard and Luis Severino. And at the plate, when you look at his exit velocity, it's about the same as Bryce Harper's. So think about that, a guy who throws as hard as Syndergaard and hits as hard as Harper. That's not supposed to happen on a 90-foot field. You know, you see that on the 60-foot field in Little League. So, you know, everybody, I think his peers especially, more than anybody, because they know how hard just doing one of those is, I think everybody's been blown away by the fact that, A, he's doing this at all, and, B, he's excelling at it. What does it say, though, about the Angels and their pitching staff? Bullpen is, was depleted because the starting was so bad at the start of the year, but the bullpen has been so bad that, you know, 
they still get swept by by the Astros, even or not. I think whether it was two or three to the Astros, even though they have two of arguably the best players on the planet. Yeah, well, you hit it. I mean, it's about their starting pitching, right? And then you have to go to a six man because you know Otani did pitch once a week over there. It would be asking him too much, you know, pitching a five man rotation. So. They're doing the right thing, but as we said going into the season, can they hold up in terms of their bullpen when you're asking the bullpen to work as much as they have? I, you know, I don't know the answer to that. Typically the answer is you better have a ton of inventory to make that plan work. Um, but so far they've been okay considering they've had some injuries there. But for me, Doug, I, I think the key is the Angels are going to have to let off some of the strings that they're holding down Otani with and let them loose a little bit. I'll give you an example. The other day, they were playing the Twins, and Paul Molitor, managing the game, knew with Trout on third as the winning run that Otani was not an option for Mike Sosha as a pinch hitter. So he walked two guys intentionally to get to Jeffrey Marte. Now, Otani should be taking that at bat, but because he's pitching the next day, Sosha doesn't want to have him hit at all. He keeps him in the bubble wrap, right? If yeah. I'm the other manager in the dugout, you've made it too easy on me. You at least have to have this guy in the dugout, bat in his hand, helmet on, Make the other guy think that that guy is an option because at some point he should be an option for you off the bench the day before or day after he pitches. Justin Turner comes back, promptly has three hits. The Dodgers win 7 nothing. granted against the Marlins, who, though Derek Jeter says he wants to be competitive, no one actually believes him. Um, so we take it with a grain of salt. But we stare up at the Dodgers. This is the worst start since 1958, I believe. Uh, yep. It is, is not good. And I understand, like, look, injuries, you take away – your three best players, Sager, uh, Kershaw, and until this point, Turner, you're not, no, very few teams are going to be good. How recoverable, though, is this start considering they're not getting Sager back? Uh, I'd be a little worried about him, for, without a doubt. I think Turner, obviously, and not just because he had a big day today. Besides his bat and glove, man, he is the heart and soul of that team. If you're around that team, you can see how much energy and passion he brings. He he does lift other players around him. I know that sounds sort of like cliche or pie-in-the-sky stuff, but if you're around the Dodgers, you see it, you feel it, and they'll all tell you that. You're a numbers guy, and you're going, you're, you're, you're giving me feelings? <laughs> no, believe me, this guy is a glue guy, and you still need those guys, absolutely. My concern here is their defense. Their defense has been terrible. I mean, they were the best defensive team in baseball last year. Now, a big part of that is, you mentioned Seager's out. They haven't had Turner until the last couple of games. You know, Taylor, to me, is a better center fielder than he is a shortstop. Um, And, you know, a lot of their problems have been the fact that they're just not catching the ball. They're not in places where they're getting the outs that they did last year. And let's face it, too, when you cut $53 million off your payroll, it's going to show up somewhere, and so far for me, it's shown up in the bullpen. It's not as deep, not as good as it was last year. Uh, Birdlander was nasty last night in Anaheim, and the numbers so far this year are insane. What what's happened? What's how has he been able to recalibrate? Because he was, he, it did not end as well in Detroit as, for the most part, the body of work was. What's he done to kind of fix what ailed him? You're right. You have to go back a few years. He had that core muscle surgery. And even though he came back and he didn't miss a start because he had it over the winter, he told me he was in pain the whole year. He just wasn't right. Everything was down. Velocity was down. Spin rates were down. It took him a good 18 months to really get back. And by then he had sort of retrained himself mechanically. So that took another year. And once it clicked in for him, and it's really the second half of the 15th season, 
uh, he, man, he has been locked in. You're talking about a guy, Doug, right now. I think he's throwing the ball as well as he ever has. You're talking about a Cy Young winner. He's thrown no hitters. But the way the ball's coming out of his hand, the way he can just carve up people with fastballs, curveballs, whatever he wants to do, he's got that cutter now, too. I think he's pitching at his best right now. It's crazy to say that, but it's true. And I think also getting out of Detroit helped him. You know, I, just as getting out of Pittsburgh helped Garrett Cole. They got a great vibe there in Houston. You know, you don't have to be the guy the way that those two guys had been other places. So they got a good thing going, no question about it. Three-time Emmy Award winner Tom Verducci joining us on the Doug Gottlieb Show here on Fox Sports Radio. I don't know if you saw this stat. Javier Baez is at 130 plate appearances, hasn't walked once, right? Like he's in he's the embodiment of the Chicago Cubs. They will <laughs> they will swing it at anything. And I understand baseball now. It's about home runs and and you know strikeouts aren't that big a thing, but have have the Cubs gone overboard in not paying attention to the strikeouts? Uh, a little bit, considering that team. I mean, they don't have a lot of athleticism. They don't steal bases. They do need to hit the ball out of the park to win games. It seems like so. I, you know, I think it's endemic throughout baseball, as you mentioned. Somebody's got to explain to me why, if you're talking about pitchers, it's a great thing to have strikeouts, right? But if you're talking about hitters, you say, ah, it's just another out. It doesn't really matter. (laughs) There has to be a downside to it. And for the Cubs, I think you're right. I think the last couple of years, when it came time to moving a runner, especially getting somebody in from third base, they've not done that well. So that's, that's part of what they signed up for with the type of hitters they have. Manny Machado, where does he play at the end of the season? I still think there's a chance he could get to the Dodgers in July. You know, it's not going to happen before then. Typically, you're not going to see trades until teams get on the other side of the amateur draft. And also because the Dodgers do want to reset their tax rate, you know, they can do that with Machado if they wait half of a season. So you're talking the end of July. Um, If I were the Orioles, though, I mean, listen, we all know they're out of it. I think even they know they're out of it. I would put them on the market a lot sooner, see what I could get in June, maybe early July. Um, they have to cash that chip in for me, I think, um, rather than play it out um, just to get a draft pick from Manny Machado. But, yeah, I mean, the guy who can play short and third, difference maker in the lineup, uh, he's going to be dealt, and I still think the Dodgers are a good possibility. What What is the final number for Bryce Harper next year? <laughs> I think it starts with a four. Really? Yeah, I do. I do. I mean, you think about the money that Stanton got, you know, and you're talking about mid-30s per year for a guy who wasn't even on the free agent market. Now you put Bryce out there at younger in an auction atmosphere, the Phillies and the Braves, besides your big market teams, Cubs, Yankees, Dodgers, will all be in it, so you will have multiple bidders. You know, Hall of Fame track at 25-26, you can go 12 years with Bryce Harper. So, yeah, I think the number's going to start with a four. Wow. Wow. Um, Robbie Cano, you have a Hall of Fame vote. Uh, Robbie Cano is probably going to have 3,000 hits. He's, right now he's a career 300 hitter. Uh, we've seen other guys who have been popped for PEDs, not in the post-steroid era, but have been popped for PEDs, become, uh, uh, become uh, Hall of Famers. What does this do to his ho- uh, eventual Hall of Fame candidacy? As we sit here today, Doug, he's not getting in the Hall of Fame. I mean, nobody who's who's tested positive in this testing era, you know, not that there's been that many, but you talk about Palmero and Manny Ramirez, they haven't gotten in, they haven't gotten close. 
Um, now I have to offer you a caveat here that he's got five more years on his contract and then five more years to wait till he's on a ballot. So you're talking about 10 years down the road. Uh, what does the electorate look like 10 years from now? What do they think about guys failing drug tests when there was rules in place? You know, that's more difficult to guess where we're at at that point. And who knows who gets in between now and then. But as we stand here today, he just cost himself the Hall of Fame. They probably cost the Mariners a playoff spot this year. You know, I know it's $12 million, but to me, the reputation, he ain't getting that back. You know, it's interesting, if, but if the Mariners are really bad, couldn't they, you know, couldn't they try and uh, avoid the contract? I mean, no one, no one, I, obviously the union would fight it and it would be wildly unpopular, but wouldn't they have grounds to try and fight and avoid that contract? Yeah, you're right, though. I think knowing that anybody who tries to do that, they'd have a huge fight in their hands. Remember, the Yankees had some... They threatened to do that with Jason Giambi, and that was all it was. It was a threat. Uh, it's too difficult a case to win. Um, you know, the flip side to that now is the Mariners actually have $12 million in their pocket that they didn't have. <laughs> so maybe it's Manny Machado, maybe it's somebody else, but it puts them in position to get somebody to replace him this season that they might not have budgeted for. Okay, so uh, you mentioned Manny, and obviously you, and you mentioned Bryce Harper, and we have we've talked about we haven't talked about the Yankees. Obviously, only and I know the A's beat them once. The Red Sox seems like only Mother Nature right now can can stop <laughs> can stop the New York Yankees. Find the flaw though. If there's a flaw to this team, what is it? Uh, this is really nitpicking, but it's probably the number of strikeouts now. I think that the rookies at the bottom of the lineup and Duhar and, and Torres have really sort of changed the dynamic there. But in a playoff atmosphere, you saw this a little bit last year with Houston, right? You know, the, there's just not enough balls in play to create rallies to get people in. It's the only thing that you go up against the Houston staff that strikes out everybody in the world. Maybe there's too many strikeouts in that lineup. Yeah. But, you know, the upside is you make one mistake and they have multiple guys who are going to lose it. Yeah, and then you know Batances when he's right, and Robertson when he's right, and obviously Araldis Chapman when he's right is pretty good at the back end as well. Tom Verducci, MLB analyst for the MLB Network and Fox, three-time Emmy Award winner, covering Dodgers Nats tomorrow. Of course, Nats don't have waiters. He's out. Uh, he's out. He just had surgery on MLB Network. First pitch is at seven o five Eastern time. Congrats on yet another Emmy Award. If you want somebody to hold one, I'll take it for a spin every now and again. Pretend like I won it. In the meantime. Uh, it, it's your, your due is well-deserved. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me anytime. All right. Tom Verducci joining us on the Doug Gottlieb show, LeBron James and Tyron Lue. They, they did push, uh, for trades around the trade deadline or when, when the Cavs made a trade, but not the trades that were consummated. Now, according to the athletic, uh, according to the athletic, LeBron James and Tyron Lue wanted and tried to make a run at the Clippers star Jordan, uh, DeAndre Jordan. Now, we talked about this yesterday, which is you can tell us all you want about, hey, I wanted DeAndre Jordan, I wanted DeAndre Jordan, I wanted DeAndre Jordan. But the reality of it, the reality of wanting DeAndre Jordan would have meant that you're going all in to win and win right now. Whereas the trade that was pulled off with, and, and what, did, what did the Clippers want? Remember, the Clippers wanted that first-round pick. The Clippers already had two lottery picks. We saw Jerry West uncomfortably sitting up there, right? Jerry West sitting on the, that's where Elgin Baylor, like Elgin, who's, I know they're very close friends, 
Elgin Baylor, though, he's he's had that desk for way more years. Jerry West had with two lottery picks just feels icky, doesn't it? Jerry West, like, I won titles with the Lakers. I won titles with the Lakers as a player, as a GM. Then I won one as an advisor with the Warriors. Now I'm with the Clippers. And we're, all right, we're rebuilding. What, what I found to be fascinating, though, is, again, any of these stories, which I have heard to be completely accurate. Like LeBron, hey, man, I wanted DeAndre Jordan, and you, don't, you didn't get it. Like, yeah, we probably could have had we known if you were staying. You know? That's like a guy showing up late for dinner. Like, hey, you guys didn't wait for me? Like, we didn't know you were going to be here. You didn't call. You didn't text. We're supposed to wait for you? Oh, you you didn't order me dinner? Like, you order out, and they get there. There's no dinner. Like, we didn't know you were coming over for dinner, dude. LeBron James saying or telling the Cavs, I want you to go get DeAndre Jordan, knowing that that would have meant getting rid of the lottery pick, the unprotected lottery pick from the Brooklyn Brooklyn Nets. It's completely obtuse to the fact that LeBron James hindered their ability to make that trade because they didn't know if he's staying or going. I do think DeAndre Jordan's a game-changing shot blocker. Game-changer. Because so many of these mistakes defensively, you can play closer to your guy. You know? Now, look, it would be a completely different series against Toronto. I still think they win. And it would be weird. You know, now Kevin Love's back to the four and DeAndre Jordan at the five and LeBron at the point or at the three or whatever. You put two shooters out there. It's a completely different team. But what it... But he knows he doesn't want to run around and block shots anymore. Like, he needs some rim protection. So, LeBron saying, or LeBron wanting DeAndre Jordan, but not wanting to commit to staying, it's the same thing that hurt them from getting Paul George. It's the same same reason that Kyrie Irving was never, they never tried to talk Kyrie Irving out of it. Now, I, again, I, none of this means I know that he's leaving. I don't know. I, I don't know. I suspect it's very likely that he is leaving. Very likely. But more than anything, if you want to sit there and go like, hey, I'm going to give LeBron a pass when he leaves this time because they didn't put a good enough team around him. Last time they did. Th- that's what's missed. Last time he was there, they went out and had Antoine Jameson end of his run. They had Remember Shaq was on that team? Like Shaq was? Yeah, dude. They went out and got Shaq. They were just like trying everything. Well, everything we can to win and win then. And what happened after he left? How good was that team? <laughs> Whereas now they're like, look, we got a we got a first round pick, got a lottery pick. We got some of these young dudes that are not bad. So they won't be as awful as they were before, but they couldn't go for it like they wanted to now. 
At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters— With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love Love at at First first listen. Listen. This season... We're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.